0: All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for each one here today. Father, we come together to be in your house, and that's a privilege that we have in our country. A privilege to worship you openly, to open your word, and to read it, and to study it, and to, to hear it preached and taught, and uh, to gain from that which you have for us to receive. And Father, that's what I want for you to do today that wherever we are in our own personal lives, wherever we are in our spiritual growth, that this message, Father, will touch each heart, and that each heart will receive what you have for them. And I pray you honor that, pray you bless it, I pray you'll be well pleased by it, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing on our message. We started off with the Prayers of the Apostles. This is is part two of the Prayers of the Apostles, but it's called, Your Kingdom Come. If you read in Matthew, where we have the Lord's Prayer, Uh, which is actually the disciples' prayer, as I've mentioned before. And it focuses on your kingdom come. Uh, That's what we desire. That's what we want. So uh, I want us to understand something. This weekend on the Jewish calendar is the celebration of Rosh Hashanah, and it's the Hebrew New Year Festival. Okay, So this weekend is Hebrew New Year, year 5783 ending. And now it's going 5784, (laughs) starting today, (laughs) okay? And so they have a different calendar. But they are celebrating that New Year Festival. We're going to look at what that means a little bit. It's not our primary focus, but it celebrates God's creation, God's new life, and the beginning of the relationship between God and man, okay? The time when God created the heavens and the earth was was and the animals that were there was one thing and then when god created man and so it's created it's celebrating who god is as our creator over all things and over all people it's the time when god made man and placed him in the garden i think it's really a, a neat celebration to not undermine it not weaken it by saying neat but i mean it's a concept that i that I can really appreciate that they're celebrating God the Father. You created everything and, you, and you, you have a kingdom of your people and you've created all mankind. And so I think that's a great thing to acknowledge God for what he's done and it keeps that perspective before us. So Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of the Trumpets, is the celebration of God our King's establishment of his reign over mankind. So simply put, he made Adam and Eve. And everything else, and he's celebrating. They're celebrating that that time as our Creator. The coronation ceremony—it's a coronation ceremony of sorts, kind of like when they celebrate this. Uh, The shofar—I couldn't help but think of Bob uh, blowing the shofar, but they blow it a hundred times. I don't think one person does that at one one thing. I think they have lots of different people (laughs) blowing the shofar, which is not an easy instrument to blow but they blow it 100 times. That must be a magnificent uh, time of focus. And the Jewish people also tie this to the coronation of the Israelite people at Mount Sinai. So it's not just God's creation they're looking at, not just creation over man and God's kingdom over everything, but as a nation at Mount Sinai being recognized by God. So in Exodus 19, verse 5 through 6, and we're going to understand what, obviously, what the message is about, where it's going, how it's connected, why it's important, and uh, hopefully we'll walk away with some insights and perspectives that will encourage us and glorify God. So in Exodus 19, 5 through 6, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So, through obedience, the Israelites would be a kingdom of priests to the world. Right? There's a distinction in our own culture. We think priests. We think Catholic, Episcopal, Episcopal. Right? And that's where we go initially. So, when I think of priests, I think a white collar, black outfit. That's where my mind goes. Right? How they're dressed the identity the identity marks and so israel had identity marks how they were dressed how they lived what their diet was all sorts of things were a specific identity that was different than all the nations of the world you and i have identity marks as priests as well we'll get into that before i get too far ahead so when jesus came and began his ministry on earth after his baptism and after his 40 days of temptation in the desert, he started preaching. So I want to read that, that first message and his that, he's, that he spoke of um, in Matthew 4, 17. He said something very unique and particular. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Have you ever wondered what that meant? It's kind of a weird phrase. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Think about where this message started out. started out with celebrating our creator over all things and mankind and his kingdom. And then went into Israel being noted and as a holy nation, right? And that they were priests called of God as a nation of people of God to go out into the world and to tell the world about him. And so when Jesus came, he's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent is a key word in that verse. And we need to understand that there was some there was a mark of high calling that was missed that Jesus is trying to reestablish. And it's so important for us today to hold on to that. The Messianic Jews sees Jesus' words as a proclamation of the new of the new year that's here. Okay? Because the trumpets of Rosh Hashanah call the people to repentance. And begin anew. So every year, uh, the Rosh Hashanah, it's a statement of, uh, to Israel to bring your hearts back to God, repent of whatever you need, and begin the year on a new cycle of faithfulness to God. Truthfully, every day, we should be looking at our lives. Repenting as we go through the day, we used to think, "Well, at the end of the day, if I know all the things I've done wrong, I ask God to forgive me." <laughs> no, we know as we walk with God and in step with Him in the Spirit, we we are acknowledging where the Holy Spirit convicts us, and we ask for forgiveness as we go through the day, and we try to keep ourselves in check with God every day as we go. So it's not an annual thing that we should be checking off; it's a daily thing. But in this in this celebration, it was a Annual thing. And so, in a way, Jesus is acting like every day can be treated as Rosh Hashanah because the Israelites had abandoned God as king long ago. Jesus has come to reestablish God as king over mankind. When Adam and Eve were created, they had a relationship with God, a good relationship. Right, And then we know how the story went. And then we know how that passed down to us. And then we have all the sinful nature and all that stuff to contend with, all of that. So Jesus is coming and says the kingdom is near. His presence as king of kings and lord of lords, God of of all creation, is saying, here I am. I want you to look at me. And I want you to to." renew or to have a relationship with me that's right and that's in line with me as my people and allow me to be your king of your life i guess a good question would be is jesus king of your life you can say with jesus lord of our life you understand that is He king of your life that kingdom of of a relationship with god that spiritual kingdom um, is is here that's what jesus is saying His message is that the king has arrived and his people's royal priestly role is real and needs to be continued. You understand that? Israel had been commissioned to be a nation of God's people to represent him to all the nations around the world for generations to come. And the ball got dropped. Doesn't mean the ball got dropped. That mission is not in clear focus. And then, of course, God always considers you and I, the Gentile people, (laughs) and he wants us to have a relationship with God. He wants all people to come to a relationship with God. In fact, Romans brings Jews and Gentiles alike and one in Christ Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the the Savior. And so we have a priestly role just like Israel had, okay? It's a chance to embrace what is most true about ourselves, is our priestly role. Do you? Um, we don't think along the lines that we have a priestly role. Do you think of yourself as a priest? You almost feel ashamed to think of yourself as, I do, you know, to call me a priest, you almost feel like it's going to your head type thing. But it's really not that. A priest does what? A priest is a mediator between man and and God, between sinful man and God. A priest is there to help bring people to a right relationship with God. You and I, priests, God's people, a holy nation, are called to be interveners between the lost and Jesus, to bring people to a right relationship with God. I think we can understand that, but we need to remember that that's who we are. It's not just a concept. It's not something that we can think that's kind of a lofty idea. We are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are of a royal family, a royal priesthood. It's funny, yesterday uh, I asked Tatum if she'd set the table. And uh, so I was saying, okay, Tatum, let me teach you something. So I, I taught her how to set a, uh, a table placemat. And how to position all the flatware. And, I mean, how to inch here, two inch here, this place, this place, this place. Exactly. And she goes, were you brought up in royalty? (laughs) I said, no, but guess what? We are royalty because of what? Uh, Yeah. She finally got there. Because of Jesus. That's right. Because we're royalty. See, that's a heart perspective. That's a spiritual perspective that we should not quickly brush off because we're uncomfortable with the idea of being called priests. Because the calling is still just as real. It was real for Israel, it's real for us. And it's a mission. It helps keep our mission in focus. Absolutely. So let's go back where we, where we were last week in Jesus' prayer in Matthew 6:10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, we talked about God's will being done on earth and in our lives. But what is the purpose of being obedient servants to the king? You might say, well, I want to be in fellowship with God. <laughs> right? I want to walk closely to Jesus. And that's well commendable. But it goes beyond ourself. Sometimes we, we, we stop there, don't we? You stop it. What, what does it mean to me? What is it, uh, you know, about? Is it about me? It's not always about us. It goes further, as it did with Jesus. It went further beyond him. Okay. So, um, obedient servants of the King usher in the kingdom. You hear that? Obedient servants of the King usher in the kingdom. First of all. I know you know, but are you glad Jesus is your king? Mm-hmm. Now, that's a relationship title. Are you glad he's your king? And he's using you and I to usher in his kingdom. Now, obviously, part of that is, is reaching the loss for Christ. But there's even a bigger picture to that. And we we're, we're hopefully touch on that as well. So, we are a royal priesthood we have a king we are his servants and we've been commissioned and called of god to usher in his kingdom usher in his kingdom we're part of god's kingdom now and for eternity spiritually there's a spiritual kingdom we are god's people we are in him he is in us he sits at the right hands of the of the father in heaven and we sit with him there as well which is something we don't get but that's what scripture says We are in Him; He is in us. Okay, we are part of His kingdom now. We need to think in kingdom terms. Sometimes we just change the vernacular of how we apply ourselves to our spiritual walk. That we are priests; that we are royal people; we are a holy people, a holy nation. We are um, uh, on a a king mission from the King Himself. I mean, those type of of, of focus, or that kind of focus on those type of words, can help direct. And shape how we think and what our objectives are it helps us keep focused on what god wants to do with us so just like the israelites we've been made priests and kings in god's kingdom first peter 2 9 says but you are a chosen i love this verse don't you but you are a chosen generation just like israel a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people, and when I was younger, if anybody called me special, they said, "Oh yeah, you're special, alright. <laughs> you don't mean that. We are a special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light." I used to have a ring I used to wear all the time, and it was one of my—it was absolutely my favorite ring. It was a black onyx ring, and the center had a fire opal, and then I had silver lines going from it. And people say, oh, that's a nice ring. I really like it. I go, yeah, you know what it means? It means that God called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I would use it as a springboard. So stupid me went to the beach and lost it in the sand. And I, could, I kicked myself for probably two weeks. But see, we are called to be those representatives of God called as, as priests and, 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 and servants of him, our King and Savior. Revelation 1, 5, and 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over all the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, praise God, and has made us kings and priests to his, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion, Forever and ever. Amen. So, whether we like it or not, whether we're comfortable with it or not, whether we want to accept it or not, the reality is He made us to be kings and priests to His God and Father, to His glory. So, God wants to use us to bring Him glory. We know that. But the focus is how we perceive ourselves in our walk with Him. It's, not just, it's walking in step, being in fellowship with the Spirit. Growing in the Lord continuously, but also remembering that we are a holy people because of him. We are a royal nation, and we have a, a priestly and divine mission that God has given us. And that type of thinking will help us to, to better fine-tune the walk and the direction and the purpose that God has for our lives. For what better thing than to pray for on this Rosh Hashanah New Year weekend than for God's kingdom to come soon? You see, I'm not talking about a spiritual kingdom. I'm talking about the physical kingdom of God to come soon. You say, well, Pastor, that's too unreal to me. That's too far-fetched. It's almost mythological. And I'm really not able to focus that way. Well, hey, you know what? It's a promise of Jesus. (laughs) And we're a part of it. We're a part of it now, as his children doing his kingdom work, and we're a part of it then, when he establishes his kingdom on earth. It's called the millennial reign. Look at the Apostle Peter's prayer in 1 Peter 5, 10, and 11. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whatever turmoil, whatever stuff, whatever our life entails, God is working it to establish us in our faith in him. He's always working good. We know that Romans 8.28. And he's working to establish us. What's that, that word establish? It means to be firm. It means to be secure. It means to be steady and strong. It means to be those representatives of God that are not immovable. And so that's what God wants us to be. Peter begins his prayer by addressing God as the God of all grace. Remember the title of the message, Prayer of the Apostles Part 2, right? So Peter begins his prayer by addressing God as the God of all grace. Here he's praying to God. He say, my God, my Father in heaven of all grace, what does that mean to you and me? It means that God will, is, is, is uh, ready to overflow his grace. What's grace? Unmerited favor. That means, God, I need your help. I don't deserve it, but you've called me, and I'm asking you to give me your grace to handle whatever I'm going through that you are doing to establish me that much more as your representative, as your child, as your uh, appointed priest. I know it sounds weird, you know, but God has called us to be that priest, that intercessor, to tell others about Jesus, to help them come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, to help them to grow. That's, we, we are all called to help each other do that. Peter is calling to mind a very particular character trait of God that everyone needs to apply to their lives. And Why is Peter seeking the God of all grace and his grace for these believers scattered throughout Asia Minor. You hear what I'm saying? Why was Peter praying for grace for all the believers scattered throughout all Asia Minor? Some of you can understand it. If you think about what did the Christians go through, they still go through it today in other parts of the world. Even today, we have attacks against churches, synagogues, still happening. These believers were persecuted persecuted and suffering in what we now call Italy and Greece, Turkey, Albania, Egypt, Libya, etc. Right? So he's praying, the Apostle Peter's praying to God, the God of all grace. God, give them grace. He didn't say, God, remove the, the struggle, remove the persecution, remove the hardship, remove the challenge, remove all the uncomfortableness, remove all of that. No, he said, God, Father of heaven, give them the grace they need. See, that's where we grow, is it? We don't grow through easy-peasy times. I didn't think I'd ever use that term. I just, where did that come from? Man, grow up. But, so, anyways, if, we, if it's all smooth sailing, we don't grow. Well, we should be praising God through the challenges. Because in the challenges, God is trying to work in our lives a way to establish us. And so the believers in in that part of the world, as I mentioned, needed the restoring and persevering grace of God. Peter knew what they needed. We need to be restored, and we need to have a persevering spirit, don't we? There are times we just feel washed out spiritually. We need restoring, and we need to persevere by the grace of God, by the grace of God. Peter even went prophetically in this prayer states that they will suffer a while, okay? Be aware, you're going to suffer, right? Of course, we know traditionally Peter was crucified upside down as a martyr, okay? So let back up to what he says just before he prays this prayer to the God of grace. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, be sober. Now, that doesn't mean get off the bottle. No. <laughs> Although if you're on the bottom, get off the bottom. <laughs> you know? We need, we need to be sober-minded. We need to be self-control. We need to have that that uh, that sobriety about us. Okay? So be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, we've experienced that. <laughs> he will hit us when we're not looking. That's his MO. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. One of the things Satan loves to convince us is that our situation is unique only to ourselves, and we're on our own lonely boat without an oar going through it. Isn't that a statement of despair? No one knows. No one understands. No one cares. I'm by myself. I've got no oar, and I'm stuck in this boat in this situation. Boom, lonely. Because the reality is, God has allowed us in those areas to establish us for Him. And is when we look to God, to the God of grace to give us the restoration when needed, and to give us the grace to persevere. There are many believers in Christ who said, just throw the towel in, I am tired of trying to live. Look, we're always going to be trying to live because we're never going to accomplish the full attainment of who God wants us to be this side of heaven. We're always going to have a warfare. We're always going to have sin to deal with. We're always going to have problems. It's not about uh, perfection. It's about faithfulness. Just walk with me, Lord. And he said, I never leave you nor forsake you. He's with us. Then walk with him and rely on his grace to carry us. All Christians will suffer persecution or attacks from the devil or both and will require God's grace to persevere. We have that at our disposal. We have God's grace available to us. It's a matter of us in our heart saying, God, I need you and I'm going to rely on you and I'm gonna trust you to give me what I need to get through whatever I'm going through, that I can be faithful to you and be the person you want me to be through it and come out the person you want me to be even better. See, that's, that's the perseverance thing. And uh, I almost said easy peasy again, we want that. But that's just not the case. Believer or non-believer, life is hard. And God's given us grace to be the people he's called us out to be. Not just the, the Christians walking with God, not minimalizing that, but representatives of Christ, ambassadors of Christ, priests of God, a holy nation, a holy people with a distinctive character that is markedly different than the way of the world. It's so bothers me when there's compromise in the church overall for the sake of bringing people into the building. We're going to compromise moral values. We're going to compromise whatever values we want for the sake of getting numbers that say. That's shameful. We are called to be a holy people, right? A royal nation. God's people with marked distinctions as being God's people in a world of darkness, just like Israel, so we are called today. What does God's grace help us to do? God's grace during our trials will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. Perfect is to be more mature. We don't ever, Paul said, I've not yet attained. We think about the great apostle Paul. I've not yet attained what God has called me to be in him. That's an ongoing life endeavor. But he did not give up. He relied on God's grace. So did Peter and many, many others. Now, let's back up just a little further into Peter's le- letter in 1 Peter 5, 5-7. Likewise, you younger people, it's all of you, and me. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves and underscore this under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We are, we are called simply to submit to God the world doesn't like that our sinful nature doesn't like that but God loves that (laughs) when we say Lord I love you enough to die to myself and submit to you to yield ourselves under the mighty hand of God God whatever's going on I, I trust you I give it to you I've many times I have said Lord it's not my life anymore my life doesn't belong to me no more My life has been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. It belongs to you. And I have to remind myself, my life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. I think about the future and what lies ahead and all that stuff. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, wait a minute. I've got that. It's all taken care of. You're not yours. You're mine. And what I have is already established for you ahead. So trust me. That's what we need to do casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Who does God give his grace to? God gives grace to the humble. Sometimes we might be in a situation in relationships where um, we just feel like putting our heels in the ground and taking up every ounce of... uh, artillery that we can to defend ourselves when sometimes God wants us just to step back and say, God, I'm going to humble myself before you and let you do what you want to do. We get in the way, right? We get in the way. He also says that when we are humble, that he exalts exalts us. God lifts us up in his way and in his timing. In other words, God will honor us in his timing for his honor. We don't have to build ourselves up before God. Now, there's a point to this and why it's connected, being a royal uh, priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God. God wants us to be humble in submission and yielding to him. And wherever the challenges lie, not to step in and grab the ropes and take take care of it ourselves, but step back and pray and trust God and call God to to counsel and give wisdom and all that we need and then to give us instruction on what he wants us to do and that and trust him with the rest. It's it's not saying it's all mine to take care of. It's saying, God, I'm yours. This I don't like. Will you help me with this? God says, This is what I want you to do. You be humble. You yield to Him. You let Him take care of it or tell us what we need to do in the process. That's being humble. When we do that in due time, God will lift us up. God will honor us. God will exalt us if we have that heart and that lifestyle. We don't have to be proud and lift ourselves up we don't have to worry about anything a lot of times the reason why we grab hold of things so quickly and defend ourselves so quickly is that we feel threatened to where where we have to take charge of our life take the thing that's in front of you and and call upon god and ask god for the wisdom the counsel and ask him to take care of it and i love honestly that's one of the richest blessings there's so many 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 blessings but when I can go to God and say, God, and pray about an issue and know that God has told me, again, as I told you, or take care of it. When we hear from God and we know from God that our Father of grace says, I will take care of it, we can relax. And every time it starts to get in our face and get us uptight and make us anxious, we go right back to what we know in our spirit, what God has already told us. You know the difference. We know when God speaks to our heart and when it's clear and affirmed. And we know every time it sneaks up to cause us anxiety, we go to God and we say, God, you told me. He goes, that's right. So relax. And just do what I tell you to do or take care of the rest of it. So he does exalt us and honor us. God will take care of us. We don't have to be pride-filled and take care of ourselves. I'm not saying being lazy and irresponsible, and not, you know, not doing what we know we ought to be doing. I'm saying don't worry about um, our image before other people. Just be God's people. Does that make sense? Don't worry about what image we want. Just step back and let God develop us his way and be humble before the Lord. Besides being humble, what else is required of us? 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 again for the answer. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. If we're not standing up for God, we probably won't have much spiritual attack. If we're not taking a stand for God, we're not going to get hit. If we're exactly idle and not being what God wants us to be, Satan says good. (laughs) That's where I want you. But if we're active for God, committed to God, standing for God, being what God has called us to be, seeking him as our God of grace and being humble before him, yielding to him, serving him, giving our life over to him because it belongs to him in the first place, then guess what's going to happen? Get used to it. (laughs) We don't have to like it, but we can praise God for it because in it, God gives us the grace to be restored and to persevere and to be persistent in our walk with God through it to come out what? More established. That's where we become the soldiers of Christ. That's where we become those strong, strong believers in Jesus. So, God expects us to be sober and vigilant and resist the devil while being steadfastly faithful to God. Have you ever noticed in your spiritual warfare that when you, when you take the step of faith and rely on God, you know that you're being hit? How do you know you're being hit? Is it because of bad times? Not necessarily. It could be. But it's when, let's say you're, um, you might say, well, why is this happening to me? And you say, well, is God disciplining me? So then we go to God and say, God, is there something you're disciplining me for, something that I haven't confessed, something I haven't repented of, something that's not right between you and I? And we examine ourselves, and if God says, no, everything is cool, guess what, what we're going through, he's allowing us to go through for the sake of building and establishing us. And so when the devil hits, we're saying, okay, God is faithful toward us, and he knows that we'll be faithful toward him, and we'll get through it. It's just part of the Christian walk. And if we know we're not right with God, then we simply say, God, I got it. You've told me what it is. Deal with it before the Lord, confess and repent and move on. So God expects us to be sober and vigilant and resist the devil while being steadfastly faithful to God. What makes us steadfastly faithful to God? Bottom line, how much do we love him? I mean, if we really love Jesus, no matter what we're going through, no matter how uncomfortable it is, we we are faithful through it, relying on him because we love him. And why do we love him? Because we know the, the, the love that Jesus has for us. Not intellectually. We may know that, but I'm talking about in our spirit. We know the presence of God, the compassion of God, the tenderness of God, the the involvement of God in our lives we know that God loves us because he loves us first we love him so Peter had this lesson taught to him by Jesus in Luke 22 31 32 and the Lord said Simon Simon indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat well that's encouraging (laughs) the greatest enemy that there is right has asked to sift you like wheat that's Pretty well chewing you up and spitting you out and doing it again. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I love that. When you have returned to me. There's always that, that grace available for us to return to God if we're not right with him. Satan personally asked for Peter. He wants to stop God's people from doing God's work. Peter had a call on his life to help usher in the kingdom of God. You hear what I'm saying? Peter had a call on his life to help usher people into the kingdom of God. Who else has a call on their life to usher in the kingdom of God? All of us. All of us. Absolutely. So guess what? The enemy's there to attack us. But guess what? Praise God. The father of grace is here to help us. (laughs) He gives us the grace which reveals to us his power, which reveals to us our security, which reveals to us the victory that we are already having him through it. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But what did Jesus do in response to Satan's request? I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. He prayed for Peter, not for Satan, for Peter, okay? That his faith would not fail. Do you think God prays for you? Kind of a weird dynamic, but Jesus is our mediator, the great mediator. He prays for us. I don't think we're anything less valuable than Peter. We're all just as valuable in God's eyes, and we're all called equally to be God's people. A royal nation, a holy people, right? we are not apostles, but that doesn't make them any better. It's just a different calling, and we're and we are we are um, called to represent him, right? We also need to pray that our faith should not fail. When you're feeling that place where you feel like, man, I'm really, you just need to say, Father, I need your grace. <laughs> can't handle it, done, you know? And just be honest with God. I've told people many times when they're frustrated, just tell God what you're thinking. If it's not exactly as, as, as respectful as you think, clean it up afterwards, but just tell God what you're thinking. Get it off your chest. God would rather have you be open with him and call on him and rely on him and he'll help you. Do you remember the fulfilling of the prophecy and the answer to Jesus' prayer? Peter, what did he do? He denied the Lord three times. But then Jesus restored him three times on the beach, right? God's always there to restore us, to be the people he's called us to be. That Peter would carry out doing what God had called him to be, an apostle. If Peter didn't get that restoration from God, Peter would not be the apostle that we know today. But Peter got that. He was more established in Christ because of God's grace. You and I, if we rely on God's grace, we become more established in him, that we can be that vessel that he's called us to be more effectively. So Peter's words in prayer, 1 Peter chapter 5, come from complete understanding of what we all face. Going back to the Apostle Peter's prayer, I want to read it. First Peter five, eleven. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. We want God to be glorified, but also we want him to have dominion, power, authority. He already has it, but what are we talking about here? All right? What is the end result of a Christian receiving God's grace and being strengthened in their faith through their trials? Our steadfastness, get this, through trials, by God's grace, brings God glory. And helps to usher in his dominion and his kingdom. Now, let me explain that real briefly, and we're almost done. Okay? We're called to be steadfast in our faith through our trials, in our walk with God, relying on God's grace, and in doing that, it brings God glory. We got through it, and God is glorified. Right? Okay? But the second part here says, and helps us to usher in his dominion, his kingdom. We live in the church age and there is a fulfilling of the Gentiles that scripture refers to. When the very last person receives Jesus as their savior in the allotted time the father has given for the church age, then that millennial kingdom will be ushered in very shortly after that. Seven years after that. It's a short time. So you and I, you and I, the more we walk with God and are steadfast and grounded and secure in him with the holy marks of God's identity on our lives because of our character in him, our faith in him, our faithfulness to him. We're helping to be that, that, that example, that witness, the seed that's planted in people's lives, the watering of the seed, the reaping of the seed, more people come to know God. The kingdom is being built up more spiritually, but it's ushering in that closer time when God sets up his rule on earth. And you and I are a part of that. We don't get it clearly now, but it's going to be great. That's going to be great. Okay? So, there will be a time, even in the middle of the greatest of trials in this world has ever seen, when God's trumpet will sound, announcing the turning over of the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of Christ. In the, revel- in, in, in the tribulation period, a trumpet will sound, and all the kingdoms of this world are turned over to, over to Christ. We don't quite get that. It just simply means that all authority will then be given to Jesus over all the nations. If God's in charge of all the nations and not the wicked rulers or the rulers of this world that are not perfect, right? Then the world's going to be what? At peace, right? It's going to come together. Revelation 11:15. 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. God's kingdom will come, and Christ will reign as king. So like Peter... Let's pray to the God of all grace and seek his grace to help us endure Satan's attacks so we're able to help usher in God's kingdom. Pray for his kingdom to come. It will be here. Pray for his kingdom to come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you didn't have to ask us to be involved in your kingdom work. You can do all your work by yourself. You don't need our help, but you want us to know you. You want us to know uh, who you are. You want us to have a relationship with you that's deep and sure and secure. So it's involving us in your kingdom, kingdom work, calling us to be uh, the people that you've called us to be that are uniquely yours in contrast to the world is 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 not for bringing us on board because you need our help it's it's for the purpose of establishing us firmly in you so that our relationship is tried and true our relationship is strong and clear that our love is deep and real and that you are our true god of grace you are you are our heavenly father you are a god almighty that has allowed us the privilege to enter your throne anytime through your son to have a relationship with the creator of all things you've allowed us that relationship with you we can't understand the greatness of that i don't think father we ever really will but we praise you for it. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for calling us to to serve you and to be your people. Thank you for allowing us to have the privilege to represent you. No greater privilege, Father. And I pray you help us to be faithful, restore us where restoration is needed, when it's needed, help us to be persistent Help us to be steadfast and faithful and dependent on you and your grace, and most of all, your love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.